Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. This is episode 58 of the live show. Me and Dan talked about a couple news stories that we have going on right now in the hunting world. Um, well, one news story for sure. The other one was just something, something that happened in Indiana here that was pretty cool. Um, then we got into a whole bunch of topics that the comment section let us let us into. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. No ad read today. Just go over, hit the subscribe button, leave us a comment, leave us a review on any of the platforms you are listening to this show on, and I hope everybody has a great week. Next week, the schedule will be a little bit different, um, but we should get some episodes episodes out regardless. Uh, Everybody, I'll see you on the next one, and let's get right into the episode. Hey, everybody. What the heck is going on? <laughs> I feel like this week has just flown by. I feel like we were just on here like a couple hours ago when it was Tuesday night. Um, hope everybody's doing good tonight. We uh, we don't have like a firm topic tonight. We do have like a quite a couple interesting uh, news stories we were going to talk about, and that'll take up some some time. And then we thought we'd just chit chat about you know whatever. Uh, tonight, but how's Dan doing? I didn't get to talk I'm to you much. Great. Doing great. Good, good. Got a, uh, you're going to at least be at your work for another year, it sounds like. And, uh, uh, yeah, which is good. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> There's good um, and bad. Yeah. Yeah. Is, uh, what made you get into your, your job that you had? You've had it forever, but like, how'd you get into that? Into just machining like a, or into the place where I work? Well, machining. Into machining, it was just a, um, like the um, God-given way of life when I was young. I mean, everybody, you either went to college or you went to the machine shops. Oh, really? What you did. I mean, uh, literally, there was just factories and machine shops everywhere when I was a kid, and that's, in Milwaukee was the hub of machining. Mm. My dad was a machinist. I mean all the people I knew were machinists and uh, I just went and did the same thing. I went and applied at machine shops. It was hard to get a job back in those days. So you'd have to stand in lines and, and, you know, and uh, go against men who had long resumes and you had nothing. Yeah. I remember uh, I used to, I had a way of getting, getting into shops and what I would do is uh, I would, uh, they'd give everybody an interview, you know, and I would tell the guy, I'd say, I know you got people that are uh, that seem more skilled than me and that have uh, better resumes and stuff, but they don't work harder than me. Yeah. And they don't try harder and they don't, you know, and I'm willing to learn anything. And all you have to do is give me a chance. And to prove that, let me come in here for a day and show you just how hard I can work and how good I can work. And uh, I'll do it for free. And if you don't like like what I do, just tell me to go home. And I'm, I'm good with that if you don't yeah. like my work. And I never had to do one of those free days, but I got my foot in the door out of a lot in a lot of places. Right. Times were different back then, you know. Yeah. My it's first job was uh, for fifty cents an hour at a farm. Yeah. That's what I made. Um, and then not very much. when I left that farm, like uh, fifteen years later, I was making a dollar fifty. Was that the story where your dad kind of made you do it because the farmer's son passed away? Yeah. Okay. I, I was so. nine years old when I took that job. He got killed. He got killed in the barn where I worked. They just put me in the same job he was doing. 
Yeah. Man. What year would that been? Uh, I was nine years old. So, uh, 76, 1976. My first job. His, uh, his kid uh, took a, a, a hay bale and he had gloves on. Mm-hmm. He grabbed it by the strings and he threw it down the, the, from the upstairs down the hay chute. Mm-hmm. And his, and his fingers stuck and he was just a little skinny kid, you know? Yeah. And it pulled him through and his hands were stuck in this bale and he went, uh, head first into the concrete, you know, down in the, in the bottom of the barn Jeez. and he never came back for supper. So the old man went over looking for him and found him. Gosh, I can't, couldn't imagine. I could back imagine. in those days, a lot of kids died on farms. Yeah. You caught in the tractors and stuff and. Yeah. Hmm. My first job, I, I think I got paid four fifty an hour, so I was significantly ahead of you. No, you're just it was different times. <laughs> I know it was in like probably two thousand fifty when you were making four fifty. <laughs> I was about the same age though. I think I was 10, 10 or eleven, but I worked at a local golf course. Just I just cleaning is all I did. Clean the pro the little pro shop and the golf carts. I'd have to clean the golf carts too. That's it though. Um, I remember but, when I was machining back in. Uh, 80s and even up in the 90s and and thinking man 20 bucks an hour was the highest wages in the world i remember harley was paying uh 27.50 yeah um, for a machine operator job and i was trying to get that job and that was um i think that was in 89 and uh i was thinking man how much money that would be yeah and i didn't get, i didn't get the job and now i would have never dreamed that nowadays machinists are making 40 bucks an hour it's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. And you can't even get anybody to come in and work for that price. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know uh, my grandma told me that her and grandpa never made in their whole lives. Of course, they retired in the 90s, you know, a long time ago. But uh, she, her and grandpa combined never made over like $11 an hour or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she like remembers when grandpa got over – at like ten dollars an hour, and she was like, "Wow, you know, <laughs> that's <We> great." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but they did like, you know, they, I, they didn't spend money back then like people do now either. You know, it's like my grandma. You know, she's ninety three and she's still living off of it. You know, and according to her, she's going to be fine until she dies. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember when joke. I was a kid, my mom going grocery shopping and spending forty or fifty dollars and having two grocery carts completely full of groceries, yeah. and saying, "Isn't it outrageous how much these groceries are costing?" Yeah. Oh, you, you know. can't even make a you can't even make a quick trip to a grocery store two, right now. Two hamburgers and the grocery cart and a box of monsters, and it's forty bucks. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I bought uh, what did I buy the other day? A bag of almonds. Trying to, you know, I just, we always try to eat healthy and that's like a healthy snack, but it was like $11 for a freaking bag of almonds. I'm like, gosh, crazy. Um, but also like back then, then, I mean, they didn't have internet bill. They didn't have cell phone bills. You know, they didn't have, you know, a lot of times you said one vehicle and that, you know, that was, you paid, paid new $5,000 for it or, or less. So it's definitely different, but, um, I remember how crappy cars were back in those days too. You'd oh, break really? down all the time. 
Yeah, and uh, uh, road trips were always an adventure. You, you know, you'd blow tires all the time and stuff. <laughs> stuff was not as good built as it is now yeah. uh, as far as cars go. And yeah. I think a lot of people probably don't realize that. But I remember that, you know, you go down the street and blow tires all the time. and <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah. But then again, yeah. I mean, you know, everybody had so little money that you'd go down to the junkyard to buy your tires. You go down to the junkyard to get a new set of tires, new used yeah. tires. Well, people were just more thrifty back then, too. Like, that's something you would do, you know, just because why not? You know, it's it saves you a little money. And uh, I mean, I remember my grandpa, like cracking walnuts in the barn and going and selling them just because like that was like extra money and i mean just i don't know things people don't do anymore for right. for money black um, walnuts yeah yeah we did that when yeah. i was a kid you never see anybody take them anymore you just see them lay there mm -hmm. black walnuts are awesome if nobody's ever tried those oh mm -hmm. you try we used to we used to pick them and we try to dry them without squirrels getting them and squirrels would always find a way to get them even if you put them in the house they'd smell them and chew through your walls yeah, but we used to use always have junkyard cars laying around the yard. My dad would put them in the trunk, and they, eventually the squirrels would chew through the metal to get at them. But yeah. uh, we yeah. dry them because otherwise you get all full of oil. Yeah. Nah. Uh, then my dad would every every day after work he'd spend about an hour cracking them with a hammer. Mm -hmm. And then after he had a, a like a bushel basket of them cracked with a hammer because they're not like regular nuts. You can't crack them with a nutcracker. They're right. so heavy, of course. Yeah. And then after he had them cracked with a hammer. Then he would finish cracking with a nutcracker, and then he would take one of them poker things and poke all the nuts out. And he'd, it would take him like a month to fill a mason jar, yeah, black yeah. walnuts. And uh, they were they're so they were so strong next to regular walnut that eating them raw was really hard because it, it, they're overwhelming, like a vanilla flavor, like really strong. Yeah. But if you cook them into nuts and stuff, they're way better than any nut. If you cooked them into mm. a bread or those wild nuts were awesome. You had those, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Never talked to too many people that lived like we used to live. I mean, we lived off the land. We ate a lot of that stuff. We, you know. Yeah. Oh, my grand, my grandparents, like, every night, it was it was either deer meat or, like, crappie and bluegill um, or, you know, whatever. I mean, that's, that's about it, you know. My grandpa pretty well kept the freezers full of that stuff when I was little. Like, I, um, I never remember him ever. Uh, them ever like having beef or anything. Uh, now my grandma now she prefers beef. You know that's what she she eats now. But I think just because she's she's kind of over, she's over the, the 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 hard work of it. You know she's ninety ninety two or three now. So, um, but yeah, he. I mean my grandpa. I remember he would. Uh, I he'd take me fishing in the summertime when school was out, uh, and I remember getting up at like four a.m. to go fishing with him, and he would even when he would cook breakfast like he would cook us fry us eggs you know in the morning and he'd put deer meat in them like he just mixed deer meat in there like he always had to have some kind of meat in them or something you know it's just like it was real funny um and then something else and this i guess this is kind of contradicting but he always had that like i, I can't i'm trying to i want to try to pronounce it. i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right but it's like bronzeswager or bronze some kind of sausage you remember that stuff i think it's called like bronzeswager and it was like this really soft mushy sausage um anyways i just remember him always having that too and he'd t bring it fishing with us and then he'd sit there and get that out of the cooler and cut a piece off for me with his fish hands and his pocket knife has been who knows where you know and we'd eat that for uh yeah it's like liver sausage that's right joe it's a couple people uh my, my mom would always um 
go to the store and she'd buy um, chicken gizzards and mm -hmm. uh, and goofy parts like that. And she would, when we would go fishing, she'd uh, want you to tie some to like a, a heavy string, like, you know, not like fishing string, like a heavy string. Yeah. And throw it out near the shore and catch crayfish for boil afterwards. Well, you, you catch how many crayfish you're going to catch. You know, you catch yeah. five of them, you know. <laughs> so um, we kept trying to catch crayfish. We store them till we had enough for a boil, but you wouldn't get very many. And then one day, my mom says, I'm going to teach you how to catch crayfish. I'm like, okay. I was a little kid. I was probably like you know, six or eight or something. I mean, pretty little. Yeah. And uh, she went in the garage and she got out an old screen. You know how back in the day you used to keep things like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You'd store everything. Everything would be reused because you didn't have a lot of money. So she got this screen, a window screen, and they had wooden frames in those days, not like nowadays. Mm -hmm. So um, she cut off the bottom window. So it was just one panel with a screen in it mm -hmm. and uh, uh, nailed a board over the top of it, like a two by four. So it's yep. like a net. And she says, now you go in the river, take that, scrape it along the bottom and go under the bushes and pull it up and it'll be full of crayfish. You work your way down the stream. So I took that thing down to the river and man, did I catch the crap in that thing? Not just crayfish, fish and really little bass, little turtles. One time I got a muskrat in it. I didn't catch it, but it dove out. But it was like, you never knew what was going to come up in that net if you went up under the bushes. But I would fill buckets full of crayfish. And we'd have these boils. And I remember those those uh, crayfish boils. Um, and even when my kids uh, were growing up, I said, I took Jamie one day and I said, I'm going to teach you how to catch crayfish. And I went and found one of them screen nets and showed him that. And he said, you're a stupid old man. Who would do that? <laughs> different times yeah 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 i remember too uh my my grandpa had a we had a he lived in this same exact house that i'm sitting in right now and uh a, across the cornfield his friend george lived in a little shack and i'm not even sure if it's there anymore but it was like the side the shack was the size of this room and it had a lean-to off the front of it. He was just a single old man. I'm not really sure if he ever got married or anything. But him and my grandpa were like best friends. And he just lived like in the back of the property, you know, like on the, uh, he was the neighbor or whatever. He, and uh, he had a trail, a four-wheeler trail through my grandpa's land up to my grandpa's house. And uh, he would go with us fishing. And he only had one leg. And they, uh, he also, he was like a chain smoker. Like he smoked one after the other. And he... <laughs> He, he ended up having diabetes or whatever, something that's how he lost his leg. But they told me when I was little that a catfish bit it off when they were fishing one day. And so for the longest time when I was little, um, we'd catch every now and again bluegill fishing, you know, or, or crappie fishing. You'd snack, you'd catch a catfish, you know, or we'd check a trout line when we were out there and they'd have a big catfish. And that thing would be, my grandpa just had like a 12-foot john boat. Um, and that thing would be laying in the bottom of the boat and I'd just be sitting there just staring at it. Like I wouldn't, I'd want to be in the other side of the boat because they, they freaking told me that it bit George's leg off. <laughs> but, uh, that guy, George, I, I don't remember a lot about him, but he always would catch like off game things fishing. Like he caught a snake one time. I remember and he caught a duck one time and I just, and my grandpa would always get real frustrated with him about that. I remember. Um, I also remember him falling asleep every time, like driving back from the lake. He'd fall asleep with a cigarette in his mouth and he'd wake up when it burned him and stuff. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, 
different days back back then. Uh, I miss them though. That was like some I fond memories of, of doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, we could tell stories about the old times all day. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good show actually. My <laughs> uh, when I was little, my cousins—I mean, real little—my my old my cousins are all older than me. I'm like one of the youngest grandkids, and uh, they all had their license, and I'd be like five or six, real little, you know. And they would take me out spotlighting with them whenever they'd go spotlighting at night. And uh, you know what heat lightning is, right? Whenever like that, like the flashes in the sky when it's summertime mm-hmm. out. They told me those were UFOs coming down to earth whenever I saw that. So again, I'd be terrified. Like when that stuff would start happening at night with them and they'd be like, Oh, here they come. You know, the aliens are coming and just, and that was the time when like men in black was real big and all those alien movies were coming out. Oh man. Uh, they were mean to me, but anyway, that's another memory I have when I was little about getting scared to death by my family. <laughs> Anyway, you want to talk about this uh, this article that we we talked about earlier, Dan the the cow issue in New Mexico. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like they in a particular WMA in Mexico um, or a forest in Mexico, they got about 150 feral cattle right now, um, and there's a big controversy because it's probably happening. It's probably happening today. Actually, I think it was today they're going to do it, but. Uh, Essentially, they're going to spend four days with a helicopter in the skies. Everybody was supposed to get off of the land, and they're going to shoot these feral cattle. Um, and just leave them, them rot. Yep, and just leave them, leave them rot. And it's a, kind of created a huge uh, uprising down there in New Mexico, it sounded like, uh, with a lot of the ranchers and just general public because um, how unethical it, it, it is to do that. I um, mean... You made a good a point of, about a bunch of uh, Nancy's in uh, in uh, bureaucratic offices decided that uh, it's too dangerous to be out there with cows out there. They might charge you or something. And um, instead of giving sportsmen an opportunity to go onto this land and shoot them and harvest them and take them, they didn't even try anything like that. They just decided to go out with helicopters and just mow them all down. Yeah, yeah that that would have been a great opportunity to like. Uh, allocate tags for them and um you know. I, I don't want thunder just for one reason if no other reason what's that just so that i could look at the camera and go got me a cow yeah <laughs> yeah i dude that happens a lot and people don't even know about it like bears mm-hmm. uh not, not necessarily out helicopters you know but um i know out west there's a lot of government employees that shoot uh you know a quota of bears or just other kind of dangerous species um in some places you can't hunt you know those certain species like maybe you can't hunt a bear in the springtime or they took a they take a spring bear hunt away because the the general left don't don't like bear hunting and you know like for example colorado all the voting's done in denver so that is a very uh liberal kill it and leave it lay yeah yeah uh, but then what those people don't realize is that the government of Colorado, I'm just using Colorado as an example, but they go in and shoot the bears anyway, you know, and then they don't make it. Then you're, then you're actually paying a government employee to go in there and do this instead of making some revenue from selling tags and all that stuff. 
It just goes down to what I've been saying, like like with the DNR biologists in my county. They're making decisions without asking the people or taking what the people think into perspective. And they work for us. That's what they're not getting. You know what I mean? That's that whole Democrat side of things. Mm -hmm. You know, where like uh, the conservative side thinks, you, you know, let me do anything I want as long as I don't hurt anybody else or threaten anybody else. I should be able to do as I want as long as it's not affecting other people. Where the other side says, do as I do because I'm more righteous. You know, that's the way I see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. They just think that their way of life and their way of thinking is the way to think for everybody. I mean, you get into a government office, you're supposed to be working for the people that voted you there, not for um, yourself or for what you or because you're a better person who, who knows more than the rest of the people. You're supposed to work for us. And I really don't like these government agencies, especially the DNR, deciding for us what we, you know, that they should kill the animals and they shouldn't let us hunt and they shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that. That just ticks me off. And uh, I think it was only a number of, I think that feral herd only got up to like 150 some animals. That's what they said, 150 they animals. They could have allowed a hunt and I bet you they would have brought people in from all over the place. They could have even made money for from it. Yeah. They could have, they could have charged... Uh, uh, you know, um, 200 bucks for a, for a cow tag. They could even charge more than that, 500 bucks for a cow tag. And there's a lot of people that probably would have went out there and, and, and went cow hunting. And yeah. why not? I mean, cat, uh, beef is good meat. Why not let them hunt it? Yeah. And it would not have been a hard hunt. I mean, I've hunted in places where there's like free ranging cattle on, you know, ranchers have them loose on public land out West. It's very common. And, I mean, they're, I mean, they're a little bit spooky, but not, I mean, not like a wild animal, you know, and I assume this is what they, these things have come from is like ranching cattle that's gotten loose or, uh, you know, not, didn't get collected over the, you know, the rancher didn't do his duty of, of wrangling them up. Um, so then eventually they have little ones and those little ones have little ones. And all of a sudden you got a bunch of unmarked cows running around. I think that's what happened. It sounds like, but, um, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, I, I guess maybe if it was like an immediate problem that needed to be solved quickly, then yeah. But it sounds like this has been going on. People started finally started complaining about them because they were. Yeah, I think they're eating know, the vegetation down. Yeah, trample trampling around in the creeks and making them. And you know, they're, they're polluting the creeks. Yeah, and uh, they said that there's even a little bit of a hazard because the bulls would charge people. They could yeah. hurt somebody or something. And that's probably why they didn't want hunters in there. But you don't want a bear can eat a person. A grizzly bear. Oh, yeah. Can eat. A mountain lion can kill a person. Just let the people hunt. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah. stop being bureaucrats. Yeah. Wild hog, look at them things. You know, they'll, they can, they'll charge you. Um, now, granted, they're not a thousand pound animal, but. Uh, That's the same thing as what they did here with the CWD. When it first started, they just said they were going to kill everything, despite the hunters not wanting them to. And they wanted, uh, started going out with helicopters, mowing them down. Yeah. That's how they started it here, but there was so, so much. Uh, negative feedback because we had a fit about it that they stopped but that is a little different in order to kill all the deer which was the goal they they couldn't have done it with hunters yeah true however, however they still need hunter feedback they need hunter input i think they, they need to work for the people not for themselves yeah yep anyway 
got another little thing we wanted to talk about tonight. There was an absolute giant buck found in Indiana the other day, a deadhead. Let me get it up here on um, the screen here. It'll just take a second. Here it is. Um, it's been going around the internet, but it'll play for me. There it goes. It's kind of lagging for some reason, but um, anyways, there's a two. There it is. There's a good picture of it. A 211 inch deadhead. That's what they said. Um, in Sullivan County, Indiana, which is like, I think it's like around Terre Haute, so be west central Indiana. I would say by now that guy probably has gotten about 72 people who shot that thing and want their head back. Mm. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I'd have been getting a uh, uh, salvage tag on that thing pretty quickly. Because um, I think once you get a salvage tag, you're that's that trumps everything else. Mm-hmm. If I had so, if so, if I found it and somebody came to me and they could show me proof that they shot it, I'd give it to them. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I would too if they could prove they shot it. But, if they had video or something, but I wouldn't just take somebody's word for it. Yeah, me either. I found a deadhead the other day again. I found two this year. Now, two. Five minutes. Do what? You find them every five minutes. <laughs> This is laying in the hills. Literally, for those people listening to this that think I'm exaggerating, you walk in the woods and he'll point over at a ridge four miles away and say, hey, there's a dead head up there. I'm like, where? It'll be like on that ridge. I'm like, I can't even see the trees from here. And he'll walk over there and it'll take him two and a half hours and he'll come back with a dead head. Uh, I don't know what it is with him. I don't know either. This is a nice one. It was like a probably 135-inch eight-pointer. It's all, it was old. You'll find, though. I, you'll find sheds and you'll look at the shed and I'll be like, there's nothing laying there. And you'll move all the leaves <laughs> away and bury it under the leaves of the shed. It's like a shed dog. Smell them. Oh, yeah. I wish I could smell them. That'd make things a lot easier. Uh, that's funny. Um, I just put the link to call in if anybody wants to call in tonight. I had a couple people actually ask me about calling in. Um, so if you guys want to call in and talk or ask ask questions. Um, yeah, that's something else I was going to say that, you know, uh, Dr. Strickland, right, Dan, mm-hmm. the deer biologist, Sure, he was, he was on a podcast the other day with the Hunter podcast. He was, um, and it was all about CWD. I haven't listened to it, but I'm going to, when I get some time, um, I don't know what his exact thoughts are about it, but he seems like a pretty smart, smart guy when it comes to deer. Sorry, Dan, you're probably not reading the comments. I'm reading the comments. People are talking about CWD in the comments section. That's why that, <laughs> that came up. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, it does seem like at least for the most part, most states are managing CWD in a, in a better way than what you guys went through there um, in Wisconsin a number of years ago. Unfortunately, we set an example and everybody started going that trend for a while. But they're starting yeah. to get their brains back. Yeah. What's the biggest dead have you found, Dan? You found some big ones, haven't you? Mm. Oh. Don't you have one of your daughter found? Like her Yeah, that's not I didn't we didn't find that. A friend found that. Oh. With it. That was in the one nineties. Um 
I'm trying to think. The biggest ones I've found are probably 160s. I haven't found any bigger than that. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever found one that big. Um, but I've, I found a bunch of them this year for some reason, and they're old ones too. Um, I found the one I, I shot at him and missed him a few years back, and um, I found him. Um, here's a question for you, Dan. You have any plans of like making a B stick 2.0 before he orders a set right now? <laughs> Nothing in the near future because right now I'm working on stands. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say you're safe to order some sticks right now without having to buyer's remorse. Yeah. I would Something say, maybe. too, that, you know, there's nothing going to come out this year for sure. And, uh, the sticks, you'll never be dissatisfied with them. Those sticks are great. And mm -hmm. if, there's ever anything better trust me you'll sell those for what you paid for them yeah there's people I mean, it, buying and selling them for a profit and buying our stands and selling them for a profit and we don't necessarily like that um because i, I just want them to be available for everybody at a reasonable price you know what i mean but uh it's really good equipment and if you buy it you'll love what you get Trust me, it's worth the money, and, you, and it's it keeps its value. Yeah, um, I think almost everybody uh, seconds that, and that's used them. You know, it's pretty well known that most people think those are the best on on the market for um, as far as what we do is mobile hunting. Mm -hmm. um, all right, here's a question for you, Dan. Have you ever hunted close to Lake Michigan? I'm talking close where you can hear the waves. I have not, but I've scouted stuff near the lake. Um, there is some thermal issues that come up, but uh, I haven't really hunted down there. Um, it gets a pretty good thermal pull to it at times because the, the temperature of that lake can vary greatly from the land. It can be warmer or it can be colder and just have a constant thermal that fights the wind. Yeah. You get swirling from that too when they're fighting each other. That's what he was he was asking about was if there's challenges with the wind. Yeah, it can come uh, inland as much as a mile, you know, depending on uh, strength from the water, you know. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That'd be pretty cool to shoot something here and the waves come in. <laughs> you remember uh, that doe I shot on the public land challenge in Michigan? That one ran into, what is that, Lake Huron or whatever lake that mm -hmm. is on the other side of Michigan? Yeah. It, uh, ran out there in the reeds. 
just kept running deeper and deeper. You could hear it sloshing and splashing out there. <laughs> yep. All right. I can't pronounce anybody's uh, names on these last couple of questions, but uh, do you feel like synthetic sprays and other cover scents hinder your hunt? The deer learn to associate those scents with humans. Do you want me to answer that? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay, so I think uh, that synthetic sprays would probably alert a deer, but I also believe that if he's smelling the synthetic spray, he's smelling you, and your smell is going to be worse to him than the synthetic spray. I do think that they make synthetic scents and smells so well nowadays that um, they can make them where it doesn't spook deer, but I don't think it's doing you any good. I don't think synthetic sprays or sprays of any sort are helping you. Mm -hmm. I think if you touched a container and you spray it out there, they're smelling you. They're smelling where you went. They're smelling where your uh, scent blew on the ground. They're smelling you in the air. They're smelling you everywhere. Their sense of smell is so strong, you're not beating it except for playing the wind. So I think uh, just the fact that you're using that stuff is going to be a hindrance. Not necessarily that it itself doesn't work. I do think deer scents... Um, scent removers and stuff work. They just don't work good enough to beat yeah. a deer's nose. Yep. You're uh that that sparked a memory again about my grandpa. But I was I was walking, I walk on my treadmill with my pack on, and I was walking today thinking, and uh, I remember whenever I was younger, my dad and everybody that we all use those sprays, you know the, yep, like scent away or whatever it was called, and my grandpa would always, we'd always like, he'd always like real nonchalantly be like, can I have a little bit of that? You know? And cause he never bought any of that crap. And he would, we'd like spray him with it, but he'd be like, all right, that's enough. That's enough. And he, he'd always like, he'd always be afraid of it being too much on him. I don't know why, but I just vividly remember him always just wanting a little bit, just want a little, a couple sprays on him. What are we, what are we doing? You know? Yeah. I know. <laughs> you know guys have poured all of their boots and all kinds of crap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, when I was a, when I was a kid, there was a phase um, back in the uh, mid '80s mm -hmm. when they started making synthetic um, cover scents. Yeah, there was two big ones. One was Fox, mm -hmm. and one was Skunk, and they could make a skunk spray—the same stuff that comes out of a skunk—separated into two chemicals. And when you take three drops out of each, they'd give you two bottles. And you take yeah. three drops out of one bottle and three drops out of the other. And when you put the two, three drops together, it would be the same thing that came out of a skunk. And it would be so strong. It'd be the same thing, just like a skunk yeah. just sprayed. But if you put more than three drops, you get, you know, just like you got sprayed. I mean, it'd be really bad. Yeah. So they claimed that if you put that out there, a deer couldn't smell you because you would smell the skunk. Instead of you, it would be a cover scent, which was hogwash. Because if they got downwind, they'd smell you and a skunk because deer's yeah. scent smell is so strong but anywho for a while they had people buffaloed into buying that stuff and uh uh being a deer hunting machine every gift and everything i got had to do with hunting right so somebody in my family i don't remember who bought it but somebody bought me that for christmas so here is something to sit with this thing of skunk spray you know this teenage kid looking at this stuff going what oh, the hell no. This. So I did what any teenage kid would do. I took it to school and I put three drops of each bottle in the hallway, and they had to shut the school down for a day. 
No way. So we all got sent home. And, um, I think it actually took more than a day because they had to clean the halls and stuff. And um, so I don't know if Rick's watching this, but Rick went to school with me, so he probably remembers this. I don't remember ever discussing it with him. He might not even know I was the guy. But uh, so anyways, we get back to school and I'm like, well, that was pretty cool. So I'll do that again. So I did it again. And then uh, I put a lot out. I poured out a big portion of two bottles together. And it was so bad. They had to cut, shut the school down for three days. They found it and they had to have it scrubbed up and cleaned by a, a cleaning company. And uh, then when we went back, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? And I didn't tell nobody. I kept it a total secret. Yeah. I thought, I'm going to put this in a balloon. <laughs> I'm take that and I'm going to throw it into the venting system outside that blows the air into the school. And uh, um, I had the stuff in my jacket pocket and I was uh, sitting in a uh, study hall and all of a sudden the doors came flying open and in came walking uh, truck and broad, who was the principal in Manchester. Manchester was the vice principal at the time. And they're storming into this place, just looking angry. And I'm looking around like, whoa, what are, who are they looking for? And they come right to me and they knock me right out of my desk and dragged me out the door. And uh, I'll never forget that uh, they were so mad. Um, they put me against the wall, flipped open my jacket pocket, knew right where those scents were. And I don't know how to this day, how they how they knew it was me. Because I never told anybody. Um, and then uh, uh, when they when Manchester pulled those bottles out, uh, the principal truck and broad punched mm -hmm. me right in the mouth. He lost his oh. temper, split my lip open. And back in those days, my dad told me I deserved it. You know, yeah, right. And you did, it probably, yeah, it, yeah. It probably <laughs> saved, punched me because he felt bad about it. So I didn't get uh, kicked out of school. I only got a three day suspension. But you know, as a kid, you don't even realize you're doing that much damage. How much you're you're screwing up the whole system all day. Yeah. Day stuff. But, but yeah, I was a little bit of a wild child. Right. Right. Yeah, you just think you're playing some hard, harmless prank, and in reality, you're costing the school. You know, all that much cleaning and everything else. You know. <laughs> uh yeah there was some stuff like that done in our uh not not quite where they had to clean the whole school but it was um yeah man kids are brutal all right mike asked if i can share the story of the biggest buck that got away from me um i mean the the one that sticks in my mind the most is i end up shooting at the in uh a few weeks later but um it was that that one fifties buck I have back here, but, uh, it was like probably October 28th. And, um, he came right into me. He was, I was sitting on a little point that goes out into a cornfield and he was, he was cruising down the edge of the cornfield, uh, checking for does. And he ended up coming to this point right to me. He was probably, I don't know, eight yards from me. And I had, I was, I was hunting with a stick bow and essentially I was in a, I was in a, um, a summit viper climber and he was one of those deals where he was he had to take one more step out from underneath the tree and he was like eight yards with my my longbow you know and i just i just smoked him and um just for some for some reason he just decided he stopped there and kind of just backed up and went back out into the cornfield um mm. that's that deer that i mean that one really is burnt in my mind but uh I ended, up, I ended up shooting him later on that year, but it was, uh, that was pretty traumatic. I thought about him a lot that year until I shot him, but 
that was that's that was definitely my biggest you know i've had uh lots of encounters with deer of lesser caliber than him that i didn't get or missed or whatever else but um that one that one for some reason or another mostly because i just thought i was like this is he's dead you know he's walking right here he's just the perfect trail and everything and he just like they always do he must have caught a little little scent or something and bugged out of there hmm. but that was probably my biggest that uh got away from me you had a giant get away didn't you dan oh a lot of giants <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Pity you. You got them anyway. <laughs> well, that it was. I mean, I, I, I can't really tell you I've ever had like a, I mean, I've never killed a 180 inch deer. So I'm never, I mean, um, when I was young, I was hunting with my cousin and it was before I had my license. I'm not sure what year it was, but maybe 13 or 14 years old. And, uh, there was a, a giant that came by, but it was like he walked by at 40 yards, which is pretty far out of my range at that moment. He walked right to my cousin and my cousin didn't get a shot at him. So that's probably his biggest buck. He's never, uh, he, he, that got away from him, but, um, I was also 14. So I don't know your perception of things back then are different now. You know, I've seen a whole lot of deer since then. Um, so it may have been like a 140, you know, I don't, I don't know, but, uh, he told me it was a giant. So, uh, Derek, thanks for the donation, man. I appreciate it. Um, Dan, nobody else in your family really hunts, do they? Not really. Um, my brother Pete hunted a little, not much. Yeah. Um, he told me when he came back from Vietnam, he didn't want to hurt anything or shoot anything. Yeah. My brother Jerry, uh, he shot some deer and stuff. Uh, he got a couple nice bucks. Not nice, nice, but yeah, for your average person, you know. And uh, went to Vietnam and came back and and don't want to be anywhere near a gun. Um, yeah. My brother Bob hunted, but uh, he got messed up in alcohol and other yeah. stuff and ended up uh, kind of going off on his own. And uh, that's it. I've been pretty much on my own. So when they came back from Vietnam, you got to remember, I was pretty little. Yeah. So uh, I pretty much grew up hunting on my own. My dad had too much compassion for animals. He didn't like killing them. He liked eating them and he liked me killing them. But, uh, um, there was a couple times when he went out with me when I was little, when I was, when, um, just once or twice when he walked with me, not very often at all, just once or twice. Mm -hmm. And I remembered, um, he would never be the one to pull the trigger. He'd go shoot that or something. And I don't even think he put a bullet in his gun. I think he just, uh, I don't think he had it in him. Yeah. So it was uh, all me. Yeah, that uh, the more I like le learn about Vietnam, that's pretty pretty sad time in America. Like for the troop, for the soldiers and stuff. Mm -hmm. Seems like the vast majority of guys that came back from there just you know something quite wasn't right. You know, just the wars back in those days were harder than they are now. Not to say our soldiers don't go through something. I'm not downplaying any of that. Yeah, but they, Vietnam, they didn't have the, we have technology now. Massive casualties, massive casualties. Mm -hmm. My dad went through that in World War II, and uh, my brothers went through that in Vietnam. And my brother has told me some of the things he went through, and uh, and I won't discuss those things. But uh, yeah. he saw, you know, his best friends get blown up in pieces yeah. in front of him stuff, and it's you pretty much you, yeah. you pretty much just said it right there. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, 
I, I know my, I have an uncle that was, bad, I have you know? a, yeah, I have an uncle that same, same exact stories. I mean, just horrible stuff. Um, I was, I, I got, uh, yelled at in a, uh, like a rural king or a fleet farm by a Vietnam vet. Did I ever tell you about that, Dan? Yeah, you dressed in, in uh, camouflage. Oh, yeah, yeah I was in. Get a shirt on that said, I'm a vet. And, uh... No, oh, I didn't. No. <laughs> I'm just I, just, uh, oh, just yeah. I had, to, I had to go and buy something. I can't remember what it was, but I had to go to Fleet Farm. And I was mm-hmm. getting ready to go hunting. I just had my, I had like a camo shirt on and he came up to me and he was like, what, where'd you serve, soldier? And I'm like, oh, I'm just deer hunting. And man, he just, I'm, I mean, he just, I mean, I just felt bad for him, you know. I just, you know, he was obviously something was not right. And, uh, man, that's rough. I, I, I had somebody make a comment about me wearing camouflage in Fort McCoy, too. Oh, really? Yeah, not in the fort, but outside of the fort at a, a gas station. Yeah. I mean, um, um, some people think you shouldn't be able to wear cam- uh, military camo. And I think what they think is you're wearing it because it's cool. Oh yeah, which is not the case. I, you know, I wear camouflage because I hunt. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. But, I didn't have. Uh, this wasn't military camo. Like it wasn't. It was probably real tree or something. You know, some kind of camo like that. But um, anyway, I was wearing military because I was wearing like um, the stuff you can buy real cheap. Uh, the, the, what do you yeah. call it? Yeah, surplus. Surplus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, if anybody is a soldier, listen. We appreciate it and all that. Um, you're better, better man than I am. It's something I never, never did. Um, anybody? Do you have any weird hunting traditions, Dan? Weird hunting traditions? Yeah, or hunting traditions in general? I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't really have. I don't. So? I, Traditions like, um, here's my opinion on traditions, I guess. Like I, I, uh, I've never really had, had any kind of hunting traditions at all, but it's like we, my whole family, like, we just never really stopped messing with it. You know, like we never, we never had like a, um, it's our tradition to get together on opening day because we'd all been hunting, you know, all through bow season or whatnot. So I growing I up, we never, one thing for me, the tradition is like the, Gun drives, uh, gun drives, yeah. But because uh, I could probably do a lot better hunting without them. Now, anyways, mm-hmm. I was doing better with them at a point in time. But now I think I could do better without those drives by going in and uh, hunting bedding areas one after another. But uh, mm-hmm. but I like getting together with my friends, and I and I just like it, and and I don't really care. Yeah, succeed that much that I that I end my friendships that I you know you see those yeah. guys once a year. So I, yeah. you know, I look forward to that. Yeah. We used to do the same thing. We, we, uh, we do a bunch of deer drives the last weekend of season. It was a church kind of a tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, but we quit doing that, you know, five or six years ago. One of the guys that kind of was one of the I want to say leaders of it, um, you know, passed away and, uh, some of the properties that we could, we, cause we went on some private pieces too, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, kind of lost him once he passed away and it'd be probably like if you passed away dan you know it probably wouldn't be um yeah I don't probably know that, but, none of those yeah. other guys would if i wasn't there i don't think yeah um and for me it's been pretty hard to do it with dave did yeah right dave was really the, the one that started that all with me and and um, right. when it started it was me and him me and him used to do them by ourselves 
And then it became trying to get somebody else to do it. My kids got to an age where they could do it. And then we, when the kids started moving on, we started trying to get more people in and, mm-hmm. and we always wanted a small group. And then the group started getting larger and, you know, and um, when Dave died and then my kids ain't involved anymore, it's just, uh, it ain't, it wasn't the same this year. It just wasn't, it, uh, you know, I'm not saying I didn't have fun. I didn't like seeing the guys and all that stuff, but it wasn't. A, right. Something was missing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And probably just a lonely feeling. Everybody kept bringing Dave up. That's all the, you know, every conversation be like, what would Dave say? What would Dave do? And I sure miss Dave and everybody. Yeah. yeah. But Dave was a big part of it. Yeah. All right. Redding asked, which state other than your home state is your favorite to hunt? Man, Nick question gets asked a million different ways i know i I really i really liked nebraska Mm. i really i really enjoyed it out there yeah for the whole one day you've ever hunted there (laughs) i hunted there i hunted there in 2020 also or 2021 uh for me i mean if i can't say wisconsin i would say wisconsin because of my memories my traditions and my results here but I, i guess if i enjoyed going someplace else i like them all i like whatever state i haven't been to yet and uh jack can attest to that because i'm always dragging him places that uh he's like why there (laughs) i like new places um but i I guess if um i was going to say uh a different state that uh i really enjoyed i'd say say probably iowa yeah i liked liked iowa every time i hunted iowa even in different parts of iowa I always enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I always saw a lot of deer. I always had a lot of fun. It was uh, always uh, easier hunting than other places I've been to. So um, um, Iowa would probably be the one I'd pick if I had to pick one. But really, wherever I haven't been. Yeah. All right. Matt asked, do you think rub lines are made more at night when deer are transitioning from bedding to other areas? search for does or do you see them using them during the day do you want to answer that um i mean i i could see a buck hitting a rub line if it was you know close to bedding during um daylight hours but i don't pay i don't know i've never had like a lot of success like hunting a, a rub line i guess not something i may i i key in on for some reason or or from one reason or a, another mm-hmm. um I don't My know. answer would be that uh, deer are night animals. They can rub at any time. 95% of the time that they're active is at night. So 95% of the sign you're finding is at night, made at night. So in order for a rub or a rub line to be something worth looking at, you have to think about, was a deer here in daylight? Is it near his bedding area? Is it in the area that he moves in daylight, which is a very small area? And if it doesn't look like it's real close to the bedding or an area where he would live in daylight, my answer would be it's almost certainly done at night. Not to mention that in daylight, they're still a little nervous because it ain't dark yet. So most of your rubbing and stuff is done at night. When I key in on rubs, scrapes, or any sign like that, the only place I care about it is if it's close to bedding where I think they move at night so i'm looking at it in places i would set up um the only other issue other thing i would say about rubs is if they're like on your leeward hills on the cruising 
height, they might be cruising through there in daylight and rubbing, especially near doe bedding. If you find rubs right next to doe bedding, they're probably doing that in daylight because they're doing it when the does are there. But uh, for the most part, most of what you see, and especially rub lines, if you're going to food sources and stuff, those are most certainly usually made at night. Yep. Dan just says those, uh, that's ex essentially what I meant, but you say it much more eloquently than me. <laughs> All right. Derek, he gave us a donation of uh, $4.99. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, he does have a question for us. He said, what should I do? Sh what should I be doing now for scouting to prepare myself for next season? Mm -hmm. And Derek, we, we, uh, we do have like a whole, uh, show kind of dedicated to this, but we can give you some tips right now, at least. Yeah. Yeah. The, the video that I just did, the one I just put up mm -hmm. is basically, um, I went out to where I seen a big buck and I fine tuned my setups. So I'm like, okay, I know where he came from. I know how he's traveling. I know the spot I had worked, but could it be better? Mm -hmm. Let's go find out exactly where he was bedding. Look at the travel route to where I was sitting, see if there's a better position. And I found a better position. And then I looked around for other spots and set up that area to kill either that buck or any other buck that moves into that area. And now I think I got that wood set up. So now I'll go on to the next property then the next one and the next one. Now, basically, figure out exactly where I should be sitting this fall based on last fall's sign that I'm finding now as the snow melts and setting up on it. But the first thing I do, um, the first thing I want to do when my season ends is go back to those ones that got away, or even if I killed one, because the bucks repeat themselves. They bed in the same spots. They move the same way. I'll go back to those spots, and I'll backtrack those deer, unless I already know it in a minute. Then I don't go back. I'll go back to kill. But uh, once I have that learned, then I'm fanning out and I'm finding as many um, situations where I can kill deer in daylight as I can and setting them up for next year. There's a short window from January to about green up. And then after that, then I'm doing a little more other things, uh, map scouting, uh, cameras, things like that. Yep. That covers it pretty well. Joel was asking, Dan, if you, you hunted public land in Iowa, whenever you hunted Iowa. You know, I haven't hunted much public land in Iowa. Most of the land I've hunted in, in Iowa has been private. Um, but when I did the majority of my hunting in Iowa, it was in southwestern Iowa at a time when 99% uh, of the doors you knocked on just go, you're bow hunting, <laughs> knock yourself out. Yeah. Um. So I would just knock on doors and, and, and hunt river bottoms um, over in southwest uh, Iowa. When I hunted northwest Iowa, I hunted on uh, a managed ranch. Um, so that was a whole different ball game. But uh, um, I haven't done a lot of public land hunting in Iowa, but I did, uh, I did go out and, and hunt a little bit of uh, public in northwestern Iowa, uh, a little swamp and uh, a couple little properties that were adjacent to some farming and uh one larger piece in southwest iowa but yeah well you're a lot more uh, public land hunting there this year because this year that's all i'm looking at is is public oh, i don't even plan on knocking on doors you haven't been in iowa i mean how long how many years has it been dan oh probably close to 10 yeah 
Okay. John, he asks, you think that big woods bucks, uh, where there are wolves, still have set patterns, or are they less predictable? Thanks and love the show and content. I think anytime you put pressure on animals, uh, like uh, big bucks, they become more predictable, in my opinion. I think pressure has always helped me hunt them because it puts them where they belong. Um, it puts them in predictable spots and in predictable patterns. So I think the pressure of the wolves, pressure of hunters, um, helps me. Where it hurts you is they kill these deer. You know, the wolves kill them, yeah. hunters kill them, and that makes it harder to find them to hunt them if there's less of them. But if they're actually there, hunting pressure makes it easier to hunt. Um, whether it's wolves, whether it's people, whatever. You know, even mm -hmm. look at the, the public land where I hunt. I mean, if you if you got cars in every parking lot and there's uh, uh, 200 people on a 2,000 acre parcel, there's only so many places those big bucks can be if they're actually in there and alive. It makes it a lot easier to find them if you know they're there. Yep. I want to uh, go out west to like Idaho and hunt out there where they got wolves and grizzly bears and everything else uh, living with the whitetail. I think that'd be, that'd be so cool. Um, Cause I'm kind of, I like that kind of adventure anyway. So putting that mixed in there with whitetails, I think would be fun. Uh, I didn't know. I, I think it's Idaho it has like a uh, six week gun season or something like that. Something crazy. Mm. So you got to kind of deal with that. That's a, that's a freaking long time. Um, you know, West, though, there's so many other people hunting other things. Yeah, true. It's not I as popular. Look at, uh, they kind of look at uh, deer, like in fishing, how we look at carp. Yeah, well, they also have mule deer there, too. So it's like that's usually on people's higher up on their list out there. And then elk also, you know, that's a good point. Uh, so maybe it's not that big of an issue. It's just, just something I was reading about. Um. Andrew, he asked if you'd ever do a workshop in the Southeast or have you? Southeast, uh, I have not. Um, I did one in Tennessee once. Um, maybe sometime. I kind of like the ones at home because I like uh, one of a property that I've already hunted. Yeah. I think next year we're going to mix it up a little and do a different section of the swamp just because there's so many returned people that come. I don't want them to see the same ground over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. What is, I mean, that I've hunted. Yeah. I mean, I, I even get questions all the time about doing scouting workshops everywhere. Like just wherever coming here, coming there. Like, I guess just so people know, like, can you talk about some of the challenges of, you know, having people pay you for doing something like that? Mm -hmm. um, especially in areas so, you don't know. So I've, I do a lot of like, I have people pay me to scout farms and stuff and, I've been doing a lot less of it in recent years just because my uh, free time is more valuable to me than money of any amount. I just I want to enjoy the rest of my life. Um, but um, I've done workshops in Michigan. I've done them in Minnesota. I've done them in uh, Tennessee. And I've scouted properties for people around, you know. And yeah. uh, um, one thing about the workshops, especially on public land, is you get in certain areas, you can get into an area where there's just no big bucks. You can get into an area that um, that there's one or two big bucks, and you got to scout that area, find them bucks. And in a day of scouting, 
I might be able to find one or two bucks. Uh, when I went down and did Tennessee, I went down a day early, scuttled between land between the lakes. I found where some big bucks were living, but being able to see the sign and show it was hard. I knew they were living on a certain ridge. I knew they were living on a side based on the rub lines coming in and out, but it was hard to show. And it was hard to walk people around and show them all the stuff I saw to see that. I found one classic buck bed that was like perfectly laid out when I scouted that Tennessee. And uh, I'm glad I found it. And, you know, a lot of people enjoy, really enjoyed that workshop, even though it, it uh, bothered me immensely that I only had one spot to really show them the, the, the workings of that buck. But a lot of people said that they were really happy that I went down there and struggled because they struggled. And they, were, they were thinking that maybe they were doing something wrong because how easy we make it look when I'm scouting in a video or something. So I understood that, but I'd really like a person to go away with a lot of learning. And when we do them in Wisconsin, we go through in an area where I've hunted, where I know, where I know how those bucks have bedded, where I've hunted for years. And we look at actual bedding areas where I'm actually killing big bucks on public land. And then we, we break that down and how, how we know the bucks were there, how we, how we look at these edges and stuff and blah, blah, blah. And we go through in a way that the time is more efficient for people to learn. And that's not to say there's not value in how I look at a new property and all that stuff. So there's a lot of value in those travel trips, but I do believe in my opinion, there's a lot more value in the stuff that we're looking at here. It's just that uh, um, people want me to fly all over the place instead of them flying all over the place. But literally, we have people that fly to my workshops that have come from Canada. We've had them from Nebraska. We've had them from uh, New York. We've had them from Texas. Um, we've had them from everywhere you can imagine Yeah, around, around the U.S. and Canada. Um, and they fly in, have a great time, all love it. And that's not to say they don't love it when I travel, but I, I'm saying for me, I want people to get a, uh, as much value as I can give them out of it. And I think if you're looking to learn, it's not that big of a deal to come here. Yeah. Yeah. That's what people well, keep not wanting. to mention. I, I run into issues with, um, with laws. Like I was going to go down and do one in, um, in Missouri mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, I contacted uh, uh, the DNR down there, and they sent me a, a, a letter warning me that uh, they would uh, have me arrested if I came down there and did a workshop yeah. on public land that, uh, to keep that stuff off their public land. So you got to look at these places, and you know, in other places, I've had wardens call me and say, "Hey, you want to do one over here?" Yeah, right. <laughs> so right. You, you really got to look at what you're getting into too. It's not necessarily going to be legal everywhere you go or wanted mm -hmm. by, the, mm -hmm. by the local people. So at least here, I know it's, it's okay with these people. Yeah. Uh, a few people of that more than a few now, but I asked about doing one down here in Hill country. And it's just like, I mean, it'd take us, we could, but you gotta, you gotta find a place where we can fit everybody. Well that, and it's just, uh, I don't know, you know, it, it, it'll take me all day sometimes to get to a spot, you know, not all day, but you know, it's a two mile walk back there, and then you got to get back. You know, is that's the problem with hills is you got to find the right property for it to be laid out right to be able yeah. to take them through and show them some stuff. Because you, you literally to to go look at a crow's foot and then go look at a, uh, at, yeah. at a, uh, a point or something with a bed uh, or yeah, and then a point. Yeah. yeah. By the time you look at those three items in just about any hill country, you just spent two days. 
Yeah, it, it is. It is that way. And then I'd also, I'd also really worry about someone getting in over their head, you know, like, um, cause it's, you gotta be in decent shape to get back there and get, get, uh, get back to the truck. And, um, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like a good idea. Um, in the, in the public around here, you know? Yeah. I, I would rather if we did it down there is on a well laid out, uh, private piece. Right. Right. Or even maybe you could like, um, haul people around on a side by side or just something where you could be more efficient and not spend, you know, a bunch of time walking around. Right. All right. Redding asks tips on hunting ag land. I hunt lots of flat ag land in Ohio with little woods. You hunt a lot of that. Yeah. You I hunt a decent. You're on a giant farm that has just a little bit of woods on. Hmm. Yep. And, uh, I think, uh, my recommendation to you would be there, the deer, um, they typically are going to be bedding in little areas where you wouldn't think they would be. Uh, for example, you know, if you got a, a parking lot and there's kind of some little, um, little pond, little grown up something on the farm that's, you know, catacorning to the parking lot that may only be a hundred yards from it or 50 yards from it or something, you know. There may be a buck laying in there looking at you. Um, if you got like, you know, little patches of uh, tree lines or something out in the middle of your, your flat, flat land, they'll, they'll live in those tree lines too. Um, I think if they're going to be bedding in some like woodlots, small woodlots, uh, a lot of times they're going to be bedding kind of on that, one of those edges with the, the wind to their back, looking out into the, the, the fields. Um, those are probably the, the three biggest things I would suggest mm -hmm. to you waterways. If you got like waterways in the middle of a, a cornfield and you got to get, get creative with that kind of stuff, you know, there's not, there may not be a tree out in a waterway for you to sit in. So you got to sit on the ground or, um, you know, cut you. I shouldn't say cut cause that wouldn't be right for the farmer, but find a way to hunt out of the corn or something, you know, um, I've killed deer in all those situations in those, those flatlands, but, um, they have to live somewhere on there. You know, if they're, if they're there, they're, they're somewhere. So make sure you cover all your bases on your farm. That was really good. The only thing I would add to that is that when they're on those tree lines and, uh, and when they're interior in those woodlots, mm -hmm. a lot of times they're at the highest or the lowest elevation. Mm -hmm. So if you look at where the, the, when they're in a tree line, where the tree line dips down into a valley or where it's at the top of a hill, um, and, and when they're on uh, um, in those blocks of timber, when they're not on a downwind edge that Josh was talking about, and they're in an interior transition, it's usually at a lower elevation or a higher elevation. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, Elizabeth. Thanks for the donation, Elizabeth. She asked hey, about. Elizabeth. Yep. She asked if uh, uh, Beast Gear products will be on display at the shows this year. Yes. Rick answered her question in the comments. I think Rick will be selling it to you right. at the shows. Um, Rick will be there. He's going to be a star of the show. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Let's see here. I'm going to wear a wig and a dress so I can walk around and look at stuff without getting bothered. <laughs> We're going to be kind of busy. If we have two, we have two seminars every day, it looks like, so. Uh, other than if, if I don't show up for the seminar because I'm wearing a wig and a dress and you can't find me, you're doing seminars. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't think people would like that. Uh, <laughs> they might. They might. You're just sitting in the crowd looking at me in a, a wig and a, a dress. I'll eventually come up to you. I wouldn't leave you hanging for like 20 minutes. Uh, oh, I'm scrolling through the questions here. I got behind. Um, usually when Dan answers them, I'm not paying attention to Dan. I'm reading questions. And I, I answered that one and got behind. Let's see here. Do, 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 do. People are saying, uh, Joe, keep growing your hair, Dan. It's starting to get longer. Yeah, it's a bush right now. I haven't cut it all deer season, so it's just a tangle of stuff. I, I haven't even pulled all the burrs out yet. <laughs> Had to get that uh, a dog comb and get them out of there for you. Yeah. Would you ever go back to that long hair? I put the, I put a picture of you with long hair on the thumbnail today. I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. I, I, I thought about it for a little bit. Everybody's always saying you should wear the hair long again. And uh, my brother's always had short hair. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if he's going through a midlife crisis or whatever. He's got a his, his wife died. He's got a new wife. And all of a sudden he's grown his hair out and it's all gray and stuff. And you look at that with that long hair and you think, what the hell? Oh, yeah, I, ain't doing that. I don't want to look yeah. like that. Yeah, young guys have long hair. Old guys look like look like hippies that never came back from the sixties. <laughs> I didn't think about the gray factor there. Um, I just get I'm not gray yet, but I'm starting to. You know, when I watch, you know, when I edit video and stuff, and I look back at that old video and stuff. Man, it wasn't too many years ago. I, my whole beard was black. Now it's like the only thing I got is my mustache. Yeah. Turning white, my hair is going to be white next. You know, it just is what yep. it is. I was thumbing through some old videos too, and uh, um, just like I, I still like you. You do look like a different person now with your weight loss and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I know that's uh something that you really worked on the last couple of years. I just, yeah, just I forgot. Out- I- Go ahead. I want to put out some more of those vintage videos. It'd be kind of funny looking at Fat Dan, Skinny Dan. It's kind of like Fat Elvis. <laughs> Fat Dan skinny. chasing a coon and Skinny Dan talking about it. You know? <laughs> we should get a shirt that has you, Fat Dan and Skinny Dan on it. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, Someone's asking, uh, where's the Michigan show at? Where it's, is mobile, it it's at the Mobile Hunters Expo, is what it's called. Um, yeah, you should be able to Google it. It's, they got some advertisements out there for it. So, yeah, I'm sure you'll hear a lot more about it when it comes up. That ain't until July, so I haven't really been paying too much attention. Yeah, they've had. I think they have them. Um, let's see here. They got. They've been announcing a whole bunch of their their uh, speakers, and they got a bunch of them. A bunch of pretty good ones too. It's in. Um, July 28th and 29th. Let's see here. I'm not seeing the... Oh, it's in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Kalamazoo. And we're planning on doing a live show there, right live yeah. with the audience. So uh, anybody that comes there can be, you know, we'll be sitting there doing this live. Yeah. Um, It'll be a good one, too. We'll have to think about how we want to structure it and all that, but it'll be fun. Um, but this, the, at the, 
the ones we're doing in March here, those are actually seminars about, um, you know, killing deer on public land consistently. Oh, Mike asked, do we weigh our deer? I do if it's convenient. I, I think about it, but I'm horrible about that kind of stuff. My, my Some of my buddies get real frustrated with me. Gary gets real frustrated with me. Specifically, he's always asking me what something weighed and, um, I didn't weigh it. It's in the freezer, man. <laughs> yeah, I kind of regret not weighing a couple of them. I mean, there was that one that bottomed out at 300 pound scale uh, field dressed. Um, I probably should have figured out exactly what that deer weighed. That thing was a monster. And and actually, the one I shot uh, two seasons ago, that thing had to be at least 240 dressed. We could hardly even move that thing. It was a it was a monster of a deer. And I have no idea. I I've never really cared too much about the weight or yeah you know, score too much. It's a, you know it's just nice deer. You get you shoot it and then uh, you celebrate for fifteen minutes and it's on to the next one. Mm-hmm. It's like a um, it's, it, that whole serial killer thing is kind of like for real. It's like you you get your little ornament from the <laughs> from what you killed and then you're off to the next one and and you really uh, you're obsessed with it until you get it and then you just yeah. I don't even have to have them hanging on my wall. It doesn't, you know, once they're done, they're done. It's like, a, you know, I got them all right now just sitting at some taxidermist. I um, I haven't even gone to see that deer that I shot two seasons ago, that monster. I've never yeah. even seen it. I've never gone down there. Oh, never really? Bothered. Yeah. I just, to me, I'm not obsessed with that stuff. I just, I want to get the next one. The next one obsesses me. Yeah. Now, I'm thinking about the ones I know about, the ones I've showed and the ones I haven't showed. Um, that I want to keep under my hat for a while because other people know about them and I'll give too much away. Yeah. Um, but that's my thing is I'm always thinking about that next one. It's always the game, the piece, the, the puzzle, the how am I going to get this thing? And uh, some of them are probably impossible that I'll never ever get. And some of them probably got a little, uh, more of a chance than others. But that's my thing. It's not, I don't really dwell on the, the past. Yeah. How did you... Uh, get the name serial killer, the big buck serial killer. Um, I don't want to name the, the uh, idiot who gave me the nickname, but uh, <laughs> but um, it was a tree stand thief. Oh. But uh, but it, he uh, golden is serial killer because of uh, I just keep going out killing deer and putting them on the wall, and at the same time. There's all these news articles coming out about uh, how serial killers always take a like a, an item from who they kill, kind of thing. Uh, okay, the item kind of thing. Was just... uh, I got you. I always wondered that. I never really knew for sure how that came about. Um, all right. I, I remember my my uh, my daughter um, a while back uh, bought me a truck for my birthday and she had uh all over the truck she had my name and um business at that time i was pretty big on the scouting people's properties yeah and she uh put on the back of the truck the big buck serial killer and i remember pulling into a uh, a garden store kind of one of those places where a lot of tree huggers hang out yeah, like a nursery or something. Some guy went nuts on me. I thought I was going to have to fight him. Jeez. He's, over by me and he's like, really? Really? He's pointing at it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? 
the big box serial killer. You're proud of that? I was like, yeah. Just when I walked away. I thought the guy was going to come charge me. I mean, he was so irate and angry over that. And I thought, you'd think even an anti-hunter would just like roll their eyes and laugh a little. Yeah. Just shows you how obsessed some of those people are. Yeah. There's nut jobs everywhere. You've had that name forever then. Oh, yeah. It's been around a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't really put stickers on your vehicle anymore, do you? You got one, I guess. Well, I, get scared. I get trouble. Just It's like crazies are attracted to me. I don't need to attract anymore. <clears throat> yeah. Someone was asking me about, he's like, you ought to put your logos on your truck and stuff. I'm like, ah, no, nah, it's all right. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't necessarily mind if uh, um, people come up to me and say hi or hang on. I'm not talking about that. Right, right. About anti-hunters and stalkers and things like that. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I've always been, uh, I shouldn't say always, but uh, the more I get to appreciate life as I get older, yeah. Yeah. the more I start to appreciate the people who uh, look up to me and follow me and stuff and you you kind of uh, you you kind of uh, feel blessed that people actually right look at you in a positive light. Yeah. It's the ones that look at you in a negative light that I don't like. Right, those are the crazies you're you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the craziest thing that's happened to you in the woods? Hmm. I you I can start if you okay. Um, I don't know if it, it, nothing really happened to me, but I was uh, the weirdest thing, I guess. I was scouting in Kentucky, um, and I drove down this like gravel road that led up to the public land. Um, and it's in a, I mean, to be frank, it's kind of an Eastern Kentucky, and people tend to be a little rough around the edges. Um, and I had to go over this one lane bridge, and when I uh, there's like a really a house that like no front door on the house, you know, and someone was living there, just a real rough area. Um. And it looked like you know, it looked like they they owned a junkyard, but it wasn't a junkyard, you know. And I uh, I got down to the public land, and the parking spot, uh, you know, wasn't there wasn't anybody looked like there'd been anybody there in a long time. And things were grown up and grown over on the public land parking spot. And I uh, I hopped down, you go out of the parking spot, and it was in the hills, and you had to go through like the a creek in the hills, and then go back up into the hills. And I, I hopped out of the parking lot and went down this creek. And as soon as I hit the like the little walking trail that was all grown over, um, there was a, a great big sword stuck in the ground with a chucky head. Like like the sword was through the chucky head and it was sitting there all right on the middle of the trail. Um, and it kind of freaked me out, honestly. A like sword. Kind of a big, like a gigantic sword. So you got um, a free sword? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be honest with you. I didn't. I didn't go in there. I probably should have. I, I, I think about that often. But I. This was a long time ago. I mean, this was. Uh, That's not was, a bad idea. I go down to places. I've been down in Indiana. You keep people out of those places by putting ch- swords through Chucky heads. And put them. In yeah. The yeah, and they had like painted blood. All I mean, it was it was pretty gory looking. But I was like, oh gosh, I don't know if I want to run into these people. Maybe it was just a Halloween thing. Was it around Halloween? No, it would have been, it would have been September, but, uh, anyway. Craziest thing. I've had so much crap happen to me over the years. <laughs> yeah. I think the craziest thing that I can think of off the top of my head, um, 
I think less than 50% of the people here would believe me. So I contemplated, I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but it's true. So I'll say it. I, uh, I was walking out through a field with my brother, Bob, and we were going to go um, scouting. We we're going to go set up a spot. Um, and the, the trail in the field, the dirt road kind of took a, a, like a, a bend, like a 30 degree bend at a tree line. And when you come around the tree line, you know, you're just suddenly like into the next field. Mm -hmm. And when we came around this corner, there was a hawk like 20 yards in front of us uh, on top of a, a rabbit. Mm -hmm. And um, I've always had this instinct to just chase and catch stuff. And I thought I could catch this hawk. And I ran at this hawk as fast as I could. And it started flying away with this rabbit. And it was having a hard time getting off the ground because the rabbit, you know, rabbit's a pretty big right. animal for bird. And he got just barely off the ground and got about head level and realized I was going to get him. So he let go of the rabbit. And I caught the rabbit in midair. And the rabbit was still alive. It had, uh, it was hurt. It had some blood in its eyes. But other than that, it was just fine. It was like the claws got into its head a little bit. And I actually ended up letting the rabbit go. But I actually caught the rabbit. It dropped it right into my hands. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah, we didn't have that on video. That would be viral. Yeah, right. Another one was I found a um, a dead full-curl ram in the middle of a marsh, like miles and miles from the shore out in the cattails. Yeah. Obviously, it was somebody's pet or something because out here there's no right. sheep or anything. But, um, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Any change in tactics during the dreaded October law? <laughs> Not for me. I, I essentially, I'm still hunting. If I have a tag here in October law, I'm still going after him. Killed a lot of my biggest bucks in that law. So the thing is with the, the October law, I mean, I, I believe there is a period of time in October where deer slow down, move a little less in daylight. But when you hunt near bedding areas and you're a hundred yard within a hundred yards of beds, they move that far in daylight no matter what. So you're seeing them anyways. Maybe you're not seeing them at uh, uh, you know an hour and a half before dark, but you're seeing them before dark. You still have shooting. So if you're in there, you're getting a shot at them. So it really doesn't affect me bed hunting. Yeah. Let's see here. Matthew asked if I've ever walked up on a deer that wasn't dead. Yeah, when I was little, I had had that happen to me. Um, I think I talked about that once here uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, having to finish one off when I was little, kind of learning that process and how it's not real, not real fun all the time. Um, it, yeah, it happens, man. It's happened to me more than that. Um, it's not something that's like real pleasant to talk about, but it, it happens. Um. What's the farthest you, uh, what's the farthest in you killed a deer? How far back? Yeah. How far back? I thought when I, when I scanned the question, I thought he was going to ask what's the farthest we've killed a deer, like how far we've shot, but how far back? Um, I don't know what that, that deer I killed in Wisconsin with Gary was a kind of a crappy drag. I don't know how far exactly it was, but, um, Maybe that was the the farthest back one. Um, a mile or what? Probably. 
probably a mile. I don't think it was more than that. The deer Gary killed last year in Indiana was a haul. I'm I'm horrible about like tracking how far I've walked and stuff though. Yeah. My answer probably would have been different before to workshops, but uh, somebody measured the distance to that island. So now I know that it was three miles to that island. I've shot one on an island, so that's three miles. Is that how far that is? Mm-hmm. 2.9 or something like that. But that oh, was wow. how we walked, so it's probably, you know, we did go a little bit around about. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's say um, a couple. it's over two for sure. But uh, I know a straight line in uh, the Conservancy with Mario, I shot bucks twice. That's two li- two miles plus straight line from where I was hunting to, to the truck, and it ain't no straight line going back. Yeah, um, but that was probably three miles. I remember uh, getting deer out of there. Um, the one buck we shot, we went out there, and I, I believe it was the first time we ever went out there. We mapped it out. We we're going to go out there, and me and Mario went out there. You had to take this one way in, and and Jay hooked to the spot we wanted to go to, for two reasons: not to spook the deer, number one, and number two because the access was so rough to go from any other direction because there was a creek you had to cross or nasty, nasty, uh, swamp. You had to go through marsh. Um, so we get out there and, uh, um, I got in a tree and I, I heard a deer walking away and I, uh, it was fighting with another deer. I'd seen him going in. I, I kept bumping these bucks and they kept going in the direction I was going and they weren't really mm-hmm. bothered. And when I got in the tree, a little while after getting in the tree, I heard something get up in the swamp and start walking. And then I heard rattling, like not rattling, but uh, sparring. Mm-hmm. And it kept going and they would fight again and fight again. And then I realized they weren't going to come anywhere near me. So I grunted at them and they got dead quiet. And you could hear every step they, they took. So I knew they were listening, like for where the sound came from. And then they started walking again and the one kept going and the other one came straight to me walked out and started rubbing a tree underneath me and then walked out and I shot it. And I didn't want to just get down because Mario was hunting. Mm-hmm. So I sat till dark. I remember we're well over two miles. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, finally, I went, I, when I got down, um, Mario came over to meet me and we went out to look for this bucket. We couldn't find it right away. We couldn't find any blood. And it took us a while to find it. And it was right at dark, you, you, you know, um, right at like black when we found it. Yeah. And uh, so then we're that far back with all our equipment and stuff. So we uh, um, called some friends and stuff to meet us at the truck and we took our equipment back and then we walked back. Remember we had never been out there. So we got lost going back. And uh, cause it was really a funny way you had to go. If you just went a little bit off, you'd get into some stuff where you couldn't get through it and you'd have to find a trail again, you know, and, and because we'd never been back here before. And uh, mm-hmm. so then we got all the way back, met up with our friends, went all the way back out there to fetch the deer, got the deer, dragged the deer all the way back. And when we got back to the truck with the deer, it, it was daylight the next day. Yeah, geez. So that was, it was two miles straight line, but I'd be willing to bet it was close to three miles the way we went in and out. Yeah. My Ohio buck was really far in but uh i don't know how far i couldn't really tell you um but also like if you can if you're allowed to pack them out that like changes things a lot you know being able to 
to pack a deer out helps a lot. But, but even so, I mean, we packed that deer that I shot out. We mm-hmm. still got all our equipment we got to carry and stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you know. for sure. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. Um, I don't know. I keep thinking of other deer, but yeah, I've killed some way in the way back there, but I don't know how I, I'd be lying to you if I told you a number. Um, this is actually a pretty good question from Adam because everybody's eventually going to run into this. Um, Dan, is your age changing how you hunt yet? Are you planning to modify the mobile tactics in the future? Do you have an exercise uh, regime or anything like that? For exercise, I chase possums. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, your age is constantly uh, working against you. So, I mean, um, I'd like to tell you it hasn't had any effect, but it probably affects me a little bit, but not a lot. Um, uh, I'm still going out and doing long distance hunts and I'm still going out in them swamps and doing this stuff. And I think I can do it as long as I keep doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could take somebody my age and start them out doing this and do it to the degree I'm doing it. I think they would, uh, not be able to do it. I think the stamina, stamina of me just never, ever stopping has kept yeah. that momentum going. I think if I ever sat on a chair and gave up a year or something, I'd be done. Mm. But uh, I will do it as long as I can, as long as I keep moving. I mean, I get to the point where my knees hurt real bad. My body hurts and stuff. I'm, I have a thing with me with um, mental aptitude where I can just shut that down. I can just shut down the cold, the pain, the, the whatever, and just march forward one foot in front of the other, head in the right direction. Eventually you get there. Now I will say that, uh, I do catch myself not hunting some of the stuff that's like two or three miles back where you got to swim through waist deep stuff as much as I did when I was younger, for sure. Yeah. Um, but it bothers me immensely, which pushes me into doing it more often. Yeah. So, but it's still not as much as I did when I was younger. Um, right. But, uh, I would say that, uh, for my age, I, I get after it. I don't, I don't stop. I don't settle down. I look at it kind of a different way than other people do. You know, you hear other people go, well, you know, I gotta watch it at my age and you know, I, you know, something could happen to me. I can get hurt out there or something. And I look at it as like, I only got so much time to live left in this earth. I mean, I just want to go out there and, and live to me. Yeah. This is life. You take away my hunt and you take away what I do. You take away my life. This is yep. what I do. This is who I am. Yeah. It's, it's not a hobby. Hunting is who I am. It's what I'm, you know, it's just it's in my DNA. So you yep. can't take that away from me. I want to just keep doing it till I drop. Yep, for sure. When I was in uh, Illinois, um, me, there was an old, there's a, a, a pretty old gentleman hunting the same piece of public one night I was hunting. We weren't in the same area or anything. Um, but he was just, he just had a, a bucket and a crossbow with him, you know? Um, and he was probably pushing 80 years old, you know, and we got to, we, we met up on the trail to go back to the parking lot and he actually sat, was sitting there waiting on me cause he saw my flashlight and, uh, we got to talking and we just were BSing for a long time. And I bet his phone rang five or six times while we were sitting there talking. He just sat there and ignored it. And then finally he goes, he goes, I probably better answer this. I'm sure this is my daughter making sure I'm not dead out here. And he's like, he's like, he's like, they're always bugging me. And I just think I just right. assume die, die out here, you know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah. 
He goes, he goes, I've been doing it my whole life, and they think I'm going to die out here. You know, everybody, everybody always thinks that, even if you, even when you're younger. I mean, I remember when I was a, a young man, you know, right around 17, 18, out hunting, and you'd go kill a deer. And there was no cell phones back then, so it'd take you a long time to get back. You'd drag in the thing and stop it over here and there. I can yeah. remember being with a friend, and we're dragging a deer back. And all of a sudden, through the woods, you know, like a mile back, you can hear my mom's frantic voice yelling, Daddy! Daddy! <laughs> and I was so pissed off yeah. and irritated by that. And now I look back at it with a smile and wish I could have that her yelling my name one more time, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what people do. They worry. And it's just, it's like uh, Carol, I got that out of her. She don't worry about me no more. Yeah. Like if I kill a deer or something, I might be out there all night and not come back till the next day. I mean, even on a work night, I might not come back till into my work day or whatever. Or maybe not even come back at all. Maybe go straight to work. And I don't call her or anything. And she's okay with that. I mean, she's... It's me. It's who I am. Yeah. And these kids nowadays, they'll they'll tell me, "Oh, you got to have a cell phone with you. You got to do this. You got to do that. It's the right thing to do. It's a safe." No, geez, and live life. Everybody dies, and everybody goes out and has fun and does things. And so what? I mean, if I die out in the woods, it's the greatest thing that could ever happen. My only fear in dying is getting cancer or getting some crazy disease or something and dying slow. My dream to die would be to die hunting a grizzly bear with a spoon i'd have a giant smile on my face that would be it there you go so, you got to live life go out and have fun just we'll dive in go at it maybe dan will be like i don't know like 94 years old and he'll be sitting in his some state-of-the-art beast stand that he designed the year before and he'll shoot like a 190 inch deer and just have a heart attack right there and we'll find him dead in a tree stand maybe that'd be the perfect way for dan infault to the legend to be, oh, it'd be, to it'd be nice if, if one of the hunters could hunt me right have a grizzly bear get me or something oh, yeah right yeah i don't know that'd be kind of that'd be kind of cool like everybody can just wonder all they find is my bloody hat what happened what happened is he still alive? Yeah. Living in never find another never find a, a hair nor bone of you or anything just uh <laughs> just find that one of those uh medallions you wear on your hat hat yeah. Uh, never know. Rest assured, nothing killing me anytime soon. Yep, you must have though, and we'll we'll end it on this one, guys. Uh, sorry if we didn't get to your question, but you must have uh, a few years ago. You must have been feeling some kind of way because of. I mean, you got motivated to lose all that weight. I mean, that's something that's hard. Yeah, it was, to it, do. Was, it was. It was. Uh, it was getting on me. I mean, it was harder and harder to push further and further. And yeah. I was really getting heavy. I mean, I got up to two sixty. I mean, that's yeah. I didn't even, you know, you don't see it on yourself. Mm -hmm. When I saw that on a scale, I'm like, 260? you got to be kidding me. Yeah. I thought, nah, i got to do something about this. You know, weight weight loss, you know, everybody wants to sell you a program. Everybody mm -hmm. wants to, um, to uh, um, sell you something when you need something. You know what I mean? And I noticed as soon as I started losing weight, all these people, even some people in the hunting industry that I really look up to, well, I won't name and embarrass, but came to me and said, Hey, I got a program to lose weight. We'd like you to sell it. Why? Cause I lost weight. You know, you want me to lie about it? Yeah. Everybody wants to sell this crap and you know how you lose weight. It's sheer discipline, mental power. Yeah. You got to want to, you got to, it's just like hunting. The reason I can lose weight 
is the same reason I can kill big bucks. You got to really want it. Mm-hmm. And when I got to a point where I really wanted it, it was easy to do. I just didn't eat. Yeah. You know, I, I fixed my diet. I stopped eating sugar. I only ate once a day. I, you know, and you, you take care of it. If you really want something, you can do it. You just have to be motivated and really believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something else, people, if people, uh, would like to take a day and just write down what they eat. They'll probably be shocked at how many calories they're taking in, you know, especially, I mean, heavier people, you know, people, you don't, you just don't, you, you get in these habits of eating these little things. You don't think anything of it, you know, I'll have, I'll have a, you know, a cookie this morning and then, Oh, I'll have a Twinkie here. You know, just you get in these habits of these little bitty snacks that you think are harmless. But then at the end of the day, you know, you're eating an extra 5,000 calories worth of crap, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I, I got to watch that too, especially since I work from home here. Like it's, I can go to the c- cupboard and get snacks, you know. Um, oh, oh, friends tell me that like, like, um, you don't understand. It's my metabolism. Yeah, you know, it's it's the way I am. I can't lose weight. It's my body doesn't regulate it the same as yours. And it's like really, it's math. It's mathematics. Calories in, calories out. And I don't care who you are. That's what it is. You yeah. put any one of those guys on alone. And have them sit on an island and not eat for a month, they'll get skinny, just like yeah. everybody else is on that show. Yeah, it's yeah. calories in, That's calories out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a uh, a friend I work with. Um, ah, I better not say this because he watches this sometimes, and I don't want <laughs> I don't want his wife to find out. So, anyway, everybody have a great night. Sorry if we didn't get to your questions. Next week's going to be kind of weird because uh, we got something going on next week, but we'll try to do something, figure something out. Um, it won't be Thursday night, but, um, if we don't see you guys, uh, early next week, we'll see you sometime next week. So have a good night, everybody. Uh, thanks for everybody getting on. Make sure you hit the like button before you leave and subscribe if you haven't. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. See ya.